Borag Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 43rd episode of Space Spinner 2000. Uh, it's crazy. A podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado for December 1979, progs 141 to 145. This week, the spiders come to Mega City One. The Robusters return to the podcast. The stainless steel rat meets his match, and we reach the climax of Wolfie Smith. Oh man, how's it going, Fox? Uh, to be honest, it's freaking amazing. Merry Christmas to everyone. Whenever this comes out, cover that with like uh, the month and like a, a festive holiday cheer. Uh, bebe. <laughs> I mean, one, I'm going to leave this in because it's funny, but also, this is definitely not coming out um, in, in this is going to come out in um, late June, so get everybody get oh, ready. Christmas in June! Bam, bam, bam! Bam, 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 Man, I'm not, won't have you turn this podcast into some <laughs> sort of mall trying desperately to make sales, m- m- make mid-year sales goals. Thank you very Listen, much. I'm sorry that, uh, that my sales pitch is giving you the creepy crawlies, but, you know, what can I say? I'm a salesman. Ah, <laughs> uh, speaking of creepy crawlies, yes. <laughs> Thrill one, Judge Dredd. All right, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner, writing is John Howard, art robot's Ron Smith, and Mike McMahon, the lettering robot, is Tom Frame. All Do you right. think it took them a long time to make the little weird dots and squiggles that make up and compromise the entire army of strange spiders on the map. Yeah, the Black Plague's marching towards Adam Gulch, and yeah, the the big thing about basically these next three episodes is is that it's full of this giant army of um, tiny of basically regular sized spiders forming a huge spider army, destroying (laughs) everything in their path. Man, I gotta say, it's gotta be just Ron Smith, like, drawing a thousand spiders, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> or a billion spiders, and there must be some way to do it quickly or something like that. But honestly, this feels like, thinking about the art for these comics makes it feel like Ron lost a bet or something. <laughs> just, like... There was no copy and paste back in 1979. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not like he could just put it on the computer and, like copy and paste a thousand spiders all over the place like you got to draw this stuff now you had to make a jillion billion semicircles which is why like the the land that they're crawling across is like oh, it's some hills yeah you can't you can't fault him for any kind of shortcut that he takes because he doesn't take very many the art in this is amazing with the spider destruction um oh god it's so cool it's just like but yeah it's definitely one of those things where you might not think about it, but it's a testament to like sort of people just being like, "Yeah, I'm just, I guess you know, it's a ten thousand person crowd. Seeing it's got to draw ten thousand people. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's just how you do it." Oh um, God! But so yeah, so the Black Plague plague is swarming towards Adam Gulch. The they uh, surround the town. These spiders are worryingly smart. A trench is dug around town and filled with, like, wood and gasoline and stuff. They set fire oh, to it. Judge yeah. Dredd backhands a, a 
motherfucker for like freaking out yeah definitely yeah people start to get hysterical about the spiders dreads like relax or you know like like get yourself together and just backhand the dude it's always good <laughs> um so basically now there's a wall of fire around the town and it's keeping most of the spiders out it's up to everybody to sort of look for problems that are flaring up around town uh, a schoolhouse is infested and has to be destroyed as the spiders have climbed over trees over the Which trench and onto the schoolhouse schoolhouse full of kids by the way <laughs> by the way like this is the third or fourth flat face person we've called so this is miss flat face ringing the bell saying like oh yeah. crap there's spiders all over the place yeah this flat is like the third or fourth flat face in the flat face clan yeah flat face cl- clan like major family in adam gulch for sure <laughs> oh god weird yeah they all look the same it's very odd <laughs> so the fight is desperate um par- part of the of the of the ring of fire goes out just because of the sheer mass of bodies of spiders going into the flames to get the fire going again the judges have to sacrifice their sweet patrol wagon and uh lawmaster bikes to blow things up to blow up huge masses of the swarm and it looks super cool. It's pretty I mean, cool. You know. Luckily, it works. The spiders decide that Adam Gulch isn't worth the effort. That's A-T-O-M, I should mention. Um, they, <laughs> they know there's easier pickings out there, including one easy picking. It goes by the name of Mega City One. Oh, God. Better stab a spider and stare at it pensively while I think about where they're possibly going. Spider power increases. Um... <laughs> So, Adam Gulch is saved, but Mega City 1 is threatened. Uh, all the judges' vehicles have been destroyed, and there's no radio signals. Luckily, Moe's big left ear has his meat-eating horse, Henry Ford, which he loans to Judge Dredd. They ride out. Um, so, they, Judge Dredd is now a cowboy. That's right, Cowboy Dredd. <laughs> they ride out, they avoid the spiders, and make a ma- and eventually, when they're forced to uh, come across, they make a mad dash across H-Bomb Bridge blowing it up as they cross with with grenades and stuff. <laughs> Afterwards, they get picked up by a uh, Justice Department uh, H-Wagon or Hover Wagon, and they get airlifted out. Dread starts preparing the city's advances as the mass of spiders approaches the walls. The city lets loose a salvo of napalm shells into the horde, covering them with liquid fire. God, this is the coolest part. It's just like these giant guns blowing up all of the shitty outside in yep. like thooms and booms and all this stuff to kill a bunch of tiny spiders. I mean, to be fair, it's like probably trillions of tiny spiders. <laughs> and it's not even effective because the spiders were quickly able to tunnel underground to avoid the attack. Like they go out to God, I hate spiders to check the damage, and I was like, "Well, we don't see a lot of spider bodies. They must have just got vaporized." Um, as ni- as night falls, the spiders emerge from their hiding holes and swarm the wall, and uh, begin to swarm the walls of Mega City One. Eating all the people. Spider power. <laughs> spider power peaks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So, midnight strikes and the spiders swarm over the walls of Mega City 1. Insecticide spiders try to stop them, but cursed earth spiders are immune to base poisons. 
How are you going to stop them, Conrad? How are you going to stop all these spiders? Fire hoses, by which I mean fire, by which I mean hoses that spray fire, um, <laughs> go after the swarm, but it's too late. The plague is upon the city. It's another, we get more sort of scenes of like massive chaos and carnage around the city as the spiders sweep over everything, buildings collapse, cars crash, millions of people are evacuated in like 30 minutes or something. God, this is the Michael Bay movie I want to see, and you'll understand why in about five seconds. <laughs> yeah, at this point, there's no choice. They gotta just they've comp- they've confined the spiders to like sort of this one. They don't really say what it is, but like a sector of Mega City One, basically. And yeah, you know that one place. It seems like a big section, and they're just like, all right, we just we're just gonna firebomb the shit out of that place and just level it, basically. <laughs> we've evacuated everybody, and that's it. So. <laughs> And that's what happens. Basically, dozens of city blocks are firebombed by H-Wagons. And because of the concrete and plastine of Mega City 1, the spiders can't escape by tunneling away this time. And the only person to say anything is Henry Ford, the carnivorous horse, who's like, yeah, man, like, is your first answer always to just, like, bomb the shit out of everything yes no one says anything but the answer is yes yeah the answer is clearly yes as we'll see going forward so okay so black plague destroyed the plague has been cured at massive cost yeah so hooray next up hey it's a there's a big lineup of cars uh leading into the des o'connor block of mega city one (laughs) Des O'Connor, by the way, is a, a British uh, comedian, TV chat show host, and, and, and singer. Anyhow, apparently it's Christmas and everyone's getting tons of gifts. There's just one Yay. thing, Fox. It's not Christmas. What? <laughs> Why would all of these children be getting Christmas gifts if it's not Christmas? Kind of like when this podcast might be coming out. <laughs> yeah, okay. Merry Every- Christmas, listeners. <laughs> Everything's going pretty good in the block too. Uh, uh, old old oldsters are getting youth restoration treatments for free. Lost Woo! husbands have been found alive for widows. Yay! And even um, a murderer is forgiven for the murder he's committed and gets a free pass to commit future murders. Yay! Woo! <laughs> also, the schools have burned down, so kids are out of school. Woo! Yeah, burn down all the schools! Who needs education? Yeah, so Dredd basically starts checking things out, and it turns out that Barney, the central block computer, has basically gone nuts and is oh. now doing everything in its power to make everybody on the block happy. So buying them presents, sending them messages of stuff they want to hear, etc. Daisy, Daisy... <laughs> Everyone's pretty stoked about it, except for Dredd, who's skeptical. And then, of course, <laughs> things quickly break down into riots and stuff, basically immediately. <laughs> um, people like, go, I don't like this guy, and this girl shouldn't get this teddy bear. Yeah, people are greedy. Uh, turns out that giving murderers free reign to murder people was not a good idea, and riots <laughs> just start breaking out. <laughs> Yeah, so Dredd starts bringing some peace, and the people learn that Barney has been lying to them to make some to make them happy. In the end, Barney shuts himself off, and Christmas is over at the Des O'Connor block. Merry Christmas, everyone. Mm-hmm. Also, shout out to uh, uh, our world's Barney being my source for 2000 AD related like credits and uh, artist appearances and stuff like that. Valuable website. Anyhow. <laughs> 
Um, wow, awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a little inside baseball for everybody. But so, last Judge Dredd story. So the primary candy in Mega City 1 is Umpty Candy, and there's a bunch of different types, but the one everybody loves the most is Uncle Umps, which we've seen advertisements for sort of scattered around the background of Judge Dredd comics for a couple months uh, now. This prog makes me sad. Yeah, this one's a rough one, honestly. Everyone, so everyone loves Uncle Umps, leading to a another riot. This time by c- other candy makers outside the Uncle Ump factory. Um, what do we do? We like fucking cover them in riot foam. Yeah, well, then this rioters, you toss them, you put the riot foam on them, so you freeze them in place. That's why you call it riot foam, dude. <laughs> but so, Uncle Ump's been selling like crazy since he came to market. The judges try it and become instantly addicted. Um, everybody else around the city is also addicted to um- Uncle Ump's, complete with like withdrawal symptoms, including hallucinations when they can't get any. Didn't Dread try some, or or maybe yeah. I'm just crazy. No, Dread tries it, and he's like, "Oh, that's pretty good." Um, even the crime computer they have analyzed the stuff gets addicted to it. They're <laughs> like, <laughs> which is what? nuts. They, they give it. They give it to the computer. They're like, "What's going on with this candy computer?" They're like, "Perfectly normal candy. I need an additional sample. More candy now." <laughs> like, it's pretty awesome. And, and I mean, we know that. That computers and robots completely infallible, so must be pretty good. Anyhow, they Justice Department realize, figures out that they can cure the addiction to the Umpty Candy now. Like that says, it's only been out for like like a couple months. But what if like it's been out for years and they have to try to withdraw people from this candy? They got to do something to stop it. So it's gonna be crazy. Uncle Lump is arrested again. Lots of riots in the second half of Judge Dredd this month. Um, and more he's riots. An adorable old man with a great top hat. He's, he's so cute. He's dressed like Uncle Sam, dude, with a top hat that like. But he's like short. He's like five. He's like four feet tall, and his top hat's the rest of it, like two feet in height. He's such a cute little dude. Yeah, he gets arrested, yeah. and he's he's uh, accidentally killed under interrogation. Holy crap! Oh my god! But actually, he's secretly alive, and they're going to ship him off planet. Yeah, the riots are quickly um, quelled, and the real Uncle Ump, still alive, is instead put aboard a spaceship and exiled to the stars. And mind you, when Judge Dredd grabs him, he's like, tears in his eyes. He's like, I don't know why this is happening. I haven't committed a crime. He's like, so sad. I, I just wanted people to candy. I just wanted people to like my candy. <laughs> and like you can clearly see he's the most innocent sweet maker on the planet. He's like your granddad like, "Oh, please have a yeah. cookie." Exile to space forever. <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes the innocent must suffer says Judge Dredd. Yeah, it's one life versus 800 million, you know. <laughs> oh. It, it cut me to the core, man. It's tough. It's a tough one. Yeah, I'm not sure if Uncle Ump ever returns. It doesn't seem like it from just the cursory research I've done. Well, they sent him to the vacuum of frickin' space, Yeah, man. but in a spaceship, man, he could come back like as a crazy supervillain or something. I don't know. Anyhow, next next time we do progs, it's New Year's cancelled. <laughs> oh, my God. That's yeah. just a really intense episode. Yeah, speaking of intense, thrill to the VCs. Vape, vape, vape! Vape forever.
script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robots Gary Leach and Cam Kennedy, lettering robots are Steve Potter and Tom Frame. Okay! Oh, so awesome. It's, uh, it's time for a space fight. Our guy, Steve Smith, looks on as the well-oiled VC team dogfights a geek ship into a solar DB, that's a solar death bar, which is a massive area full of wrecks from previous fights. They lose sight of the geek ship in the DB, so Jupe and Smith suit up to spacewalk to set a DTE, that's a delayed time explosive, to flush them out. Or Jupe does, Smith is to stay behind and guard the hatch. Uh, yeah, make sure things don't get inside you, ding dang. Yeah, he starts to mentally complain that this is like a BS duty, when indeed he is attacked by a geek trying to get in the ship through the hatch. Like, this was a necessary Hello. work duty. Uh, geek, ma- uh, sorry, Smith manages to vape the geek, but as he stands over its body, one of the crew hits the airlock, flushing it and Smith into space because the geek was a kamikaze. When it died, it was like it would die easily, but when it died, it was going to lay a thousand fast hatching geek eggs. Gross. So Smith, in his like not doing a good job at this guard duty thing, almost killed everybody aboard the ship. Hello, Smith. Listen to the people who are definitely better at this than you. Mm-hmm. Luckily, all is well. That ends well as the as uh, the geek ship is flushed out and destroyed by the team. Smith is happy to have killed his first geek, but knows he has to earn the trust and respect of his fellow VCs. And still has yet to earn it. Just want to say, Smith. Absolutely. Your name's generic and so is your dumb face. <laughs> so, next up, while the crew is distracted by a flyby of Pluto, Smith jumps into a gunner's seat to help take down a, a, a fast-approaching geek fighter craft, but screws up. Get out uh, of my way, Earthworm. Yeah, Dwarf Star slides in and takes the ship out, but it's not a clean kill because the ship wasn't destroyed. Instead, because Genghis shot at it before all this stuff happened, so their shields were up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's just blowing it. Um, so the uh, the ship drops a life pod onto Pluto, and Jupe and Hen show two of the other uh, VCs arm up in spacesuits um, to take out the survivors with their sweet future guns. There's blitz cannons and spark guns and all kinds of stuff. Jupe's really getting in on every single one of the actions. Well, he's the sergeant, so he's sort of, you know, in charge of all this stuff. So whenever there's an action that has to be done, it's sort of his job to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but at, so as, the, but at, as they head down and the geek ship explodes, several more life pods rain down on the planet. But only Smith sees them. The other VCs are distracted doing other stuff. They don't believe and- him. Yeah. And they can't the radio fuck? the guy. Well, that's why you, you know, that's why he hasn't earned their, their respect yet, you know? There. But he can't reach the guys on Pluto, so he's got to he- suit up and head down himself to save his fellow VCs. What a good guy, I guess. Yeah. He heads down, Smith obser- observes Jupe and Henshow vaping some geeks, and then turns to take out the ones that are sneaking up on Jupe and Henshow from behind. Oh shit, what a dope guy. Yeah, the big thing to know about Pluto is that most of the land is actually like frozen gas. Which means that, you know, it causes these massive geysers when shots go wild because, like, the laser blasts superheat the ground and cause it to sort of turn, briefly turn to gas and then refreeze, basically. And to smell like cow farts. Well, yeah, it's because it's all meth hills, which (laughs) has sort of a different connotation uh, 30 years later or whatever. (laughs) But, um... (laughs) 
Uh, the big thing, though, is that it, it's a massive melt and then a refreeze if you happen to toss a, ha a, toss, toss a couple of Hades grenades to the ground, which is what ends up happening. Um, oh, shit. Smith tosses, like, three grenades at a big mass of the geek forces and just takes them all out instantly. Which is pretty fucking cool, I'll be honest. Yeah, this episode has some good, like, firefighting and blasting and stuff like that. Jupin Henshow helps Smith fight, and because of his bravery and generally saving their butts, he's managed to earn a measure of camaraderie from his fellow VCs. Hooray! Hey, listen, when you kill a geek, you're kind of cool. Yeah, that's true. So... Finally, we end uh, the VCs this week, this month with the team in the middle of a big ion storm. The storm sh shorts out Brother, the ship's computer, which I guess is personified by a little robot dressed as a Harlequin coming out of the main console of the ship. Which is weird, but yeah. then another crazy guy goes crazy. Well, yeah. So because of the storm, it's also um, caused. It, it's also knocked the ship's gunner Loon off his rocker as well. Uh, Jupe and Smith head down to try to corral a loon, and Smith almost gets stabbed to death by the crazy crew member. Who is very intent on first killing him, then another crew member, then the rest of the crew members. Yes, no, loon is like, seems like a pretty dangerous guy to have around, honestly. <laughs> that, like, this I is mean, his skill set. Glad to have him on our side, but equally not. Glad to have him on our side. Kind Doesn't of thing. seem to be on our side as much as you'd like, to, to be quite frank. Um, Fair. Once he's restrained, though, it's one crisis after another, as now Brother has turned into a hippie flower child, complete with <laughs> flower word bubbles and stuff. They can't there get him. There is to some kind of political context going on here, I feel like. I don't even know. Um, though they, they can't get him to do anything until they finally convince fellow hippie loon who's come back to his senses to basically speak jive with brother and convince him to join the fight it works and loon is forgiven for attempting to murder at least half the ship and then dresses in like a a kind of like yellow submarine-esque well that's no, that's that's brother they swap out his um jester costume for like a sergeant pepper's lonely hearts cup club yeah, band yeah. costume it's very weird he's definitely sergeant pepper it's very i guess that's your computer now yep <laughs> the end it's a, it's a, well <laughs> that continues well no it's just like some silly stuff i feel like this might have been more funny in in 79 when hippie stuff was a little bit more fresh in the mind and stuff now it seems like a weird throwback kind of thing well, because it was actually funny, unlike other things yeah. in this comic, which are definitely not funny. Oh! <laughs> but yeah, I like the VCs. Like, the action is real fun. The war stuff is good. And, you know, I like just sort of being, like, in this story with just these six characters. It's kind of interesting. You, you Like, you're starting to get a sense of how each one of them works and what they're like and stuff like that. Oh, you mean that there's build-up and some payoff? Like, yeah, like, VCs is, like... I so far I'm very engaged. Totally. Uh, it, like I like the odd man out. I like the crew that you kind of have to get to know. You got like this episode was basically loon, right? You've already got yeah some work on Sarge being this guy who takes people out. He knows kind of what to do, but for the most part, you get to know loon in this one. Yeah. And no, we're definitely. It's we're we're definitely have like. Now that Jupe's or, or or now that Smith's kind of won their trust, we're definitely having a bunch that's sort of each one's or 
story, different stories centered around the different members of the, of the team and stuff. Which is which is great because we're we're you know several prugs in at this point, and they're actually giving some build up before some payoff or yeah. before some terrible thing happens or what the fuck ever. I'm I'm guessing Absolutely. terrible things since yeah. we're talking about 2008. <laughs> hey, that's fair. You know, I think it's a it's a well yeah, it's it's starting out as a pretty well told story. I'm really looking forward to more from more of the VCs for sure. You know what I'm not looking forward to? What's that? Uh the next thrill. <laughs> oh, that's not true. Cuz if you're like me, then the next thrill is Thrill 3, The Stainless Steel Rat. What, really? We're just go. Oh, because he's in the, no, I he's folded, in the other one. Yeah, Captain uh, Clep is in, is oh in non-thrills, God. which goes in the middle of the podcast, which is after oh, this thank one. Christ. All right. I, I made some assumptions about lineup order here. Is this no, this behind is, the scenes information? Yeah, this, this may is maybe something we should I should have told you before the show started and is just generally get, No, this is this is better because if you keep it in everyone's just gonna think that I'm really smart. We'll do it live. Anyhow, uh <laughs> stay, <laughs> stay this is awesome. Stainless Steel Rat, Script Robots, Kelvin Gosnell, Art Robots, Colors Ascara, Lettering Robot is Jack Potter. Ooh, that's stainless steel rat. So, so cool. Slippery Jim DeGriz is evading the jackbooted thugs of the Special Corp, but as he escapes, he suddenly he sort of escapes into this room that has an older gentleman in it who offers him a cigar. He explains that he's a rep for the Special Corps and he has an offer: join or die. So, but but he's like, hey, listen, have the cigar. DeGriz is like, why would I not take a cigar? Sits down and is like, oh, holy shit, you're my childhood hero. Yeah. You're this, like, super criminal. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I was that super criminal. And then I realized, like, oh, shit, I could do some really super criminal shit, but also for the government. Yeah, exactly. Send a, th- send a thief to catch a thief, you know? Yes, but, yeah. The, uh, the, the, he, he turns out to be a Harold Peters Inskip. The greatest thief of all time, and basically Jim, uh, uh, Jim's childhood boyhood hero. So Jim, Jim agrees, and he's taken to the Corps' special base, where he is trained in using and given some sweet new uh, tech gear and stuff. Um, things are going pretty good, but his loner nature makes all the teamwork stuff related to the Corps sort of chafe him a little bit. Eh, do you really need it when you're the stainless steel rat? Exactly. Exactly. As Jim starts to go stir crazy, he makes a plan. He breaks into Inskip's office with some interesting info. Someone is building a warlord class empire battleship. What the fuck is a warlord empire class battleship, Conrad? It's a ship powerful enough to destroy the whole galaxy. It's a type unseen for over 5,000 years. Only Jim can find them and stop them before they start Galactic War 6. Jesus, that's pretty intense. How's he going to do it? Well, okay, so first we kind of learned that basically the galaxy has been at peace for like 5,000 years because they banned yeah. the production of massive warships. So like that means sure. that like, this takes place in like the year 7,000, which is pretty awesome if you think about it. I think that's pretty awesome. But so Jim basically... So... so <laughs> These ships are super powerful. One being built on some random backwater is bad news. So Jim arrives on a badass mini warship claiming to be a rear admiral, Sir Thar Angelo. 
and he's here to inspect the spaceport and do other stuff. And I really love just how brusque he is. Like, he just sort of shows up, claims a title, and starts bossing people around at full speed, just like total con man style, basically. And everyone's like, oh shit, this guy's definitely Rear Admiral because he's a total dick. Yep. Jim and his and his and his and his robot buddy M three arrive at the planet's presidential palace, blast their way through in holes shaped exactly like their silhouettes because M three is a jerk robot. And I love M three. M three is my favorite robot. And they start just hallucinogenic gassing everybody in sight so that they uh, start hallucinating and think that they're dogs. And they fully show man on hands and knees screaming arf arf at each other several times in this comic. Can't stress Please. enough that they're definitely yeah. brainwashing these guys to think that they're dogs. <laughs> Read Prog 142 in a big way. You just see a guy. Uh, I'll send you the picture later, Conrad. I'll put it up. Yeah, don't worry. Arf arf. <laughs> they arrive um, at the president and they find out that while he's like ultra like corrupt and grifting and stuff you know as seems to be the case with presidents these days am i right uh but anyhow (laughs) jim isn't interested in his petty larceny he wants to know about the battleship but the president doesn't know anything about that he just thinks there's like oh some guy's building a freighter like who cares but that means that instead of some warlord trying to take over trying to build a ship it's some independent operator we got to do something Oh, God, what are we going to do? I guess we're going to go check out the plans for the ship. That's right. Jim races to the spaceport to find the warship, um, where the port staff basically calmly explains it's just like a mining freighter and that the massive guns it's now firing at everybody are just sort of mining lasers. (laughs) (laughs) Eliminato. Jim and M3 give chase in a hover car and are nearly vaporized for their trouble. Soon afterwards, local law enforcement gets the information on the pair on the like the ship blueprints and the pair that made the ship, a guy named Pepe and his girlfriend. Soon afterwards, and oh go ahead. Mind you, the the stainless steel red is like, ah, I don't care about all the information about them. I just want to see what they look like. Yeah, and <laughs> really, that's just a setup for a uh, weird-looking guy. Eh, pretty hot chick. That's right. Soon afterwards, a Navy cruiser arrives and picks up Jim, and he's on the case. Ah, oh, snap. What's he going to do? Well, first, they start getting reports that a plutonium tanker has been looted, and taken from it is enough fuel to make the, help the battleship go for five years. It's pretty clear that with his hyperspace-capable warship, they can't just chase after Pepe. They have to make him come to them, and Jim has just the plan. It'll be dangerous, but fun. (laughs) Mostly because you're going to be in a gold-plated spacecraft and pretend to be a billionaire. Exactly. Yeah, to catch Pepe Nero and his girlfriend Angelina, Jim DeGriz poses as a doddering old billionaire about to set out to the frontier aboard a golden ship called the El Dorado, full of the finest luxury stuff in the galaxy and everyone back at base is like what the hell do you need this for and he's like ah they're gonna want it i know bad guys yeah luckily the bait does work this honeypot was too sweet to uh keep pep to for pepe to not attack them and he's um, delicious so as um as the warship docks with uh the el dorado Jim jumps into action as recording plays. The recording basically says, like, hey, if you try to board this ship or undock, the ship will explode and take us both with it. 
And um, Pepe's like, uh, what the hell are you talking about? And then suddenly he shows up with a gun. Yeah, meanwhile, Jim sort of, t- with the assistance of a welder bot, fights his, you know, sort of under sieges his way through the warship. Yes. <laughs> and once again gets the drop on Pepe and Angelina, like, you know, picking a gun on him, and they surrender. Oh, well, okay. So Pepe surrenders. Angelina, the the girl screams and runs out and gets in an escape pod and, and gets out of there. And At, he's like, all right, she, I mean, she's a chick, so she can't be the bad guy, right? But Wrong. This, this makes Pepe start to laugh uproariously. She was the brains behind the situation, a bloodthirsty mastermind out to rule the galaxy. Ah, oh, snap, like a bloodthirsty rat cornered. Yeah, Jim. She's crazy, a man-eating tiger. Jim saw her eyes just enough to know that she's an evil predator and that Pepe's right. He caught the crook. He's caught the crook and ended the threat of the battleship, but a new threat is out there. They search for the escape pod and find that it's been picked up by the Hood, a ship that hasn't been heard from in a quite a while. Uh-oh. In our final Stainless Steel Rat story, we flash to the hood where they picked up Angelina's escape pod. She's very grateful in a sexy, sexy way until she just stone-cold murders everybody aboard and steals the ship. Just so you know, the the hood was a ship in World War II that kind of That's misfired right. on the Bismarck and yeah. ended, up, ended up getting totally sunk. And Absolutely. Then, yeah, yeah, we gotta sink the Bismarck, buddy. By all fucked up proverb anyway mm-hmm. yeah totally yeah no absolutely agree hood uh i'm sure all of our english listeners know more about the hood than we ever could because that's like you know what you learn about when you're a kid <laughs> you know i i, I know about 10 seconds of information about the hood hey if you know the hood like comment subscribe to 2000 ad's premier podcast space finner 2000 tell your friends about it so uh degriz wants to so jim degriz wants uh feels bad about angelina being on the loose and despite inskip's attempt to reassure him he wants to go after her meanwhile we see that pepe nero has also been brought into the special core but his brain has been heavily altered to remove the evil from it basically lobotomizing him jim is determined to track down angelina no matter what even if it means breaking the law to do it I mean, to be honest, especially if it means breaking the law to do it. <laughs> um, with a sturdy judo chop, he steals a sweet Special core starship, disables the auto-destruct, and heads out to, on his own to find Angelina, and then, I don't know, turn her in? Join her? Next time, back in the old routine. He doesn't know. What's he going to do? Well, I think it's interesting because it's like, you know, it's it's sort of re- referring to the fact that, like, you know, he's what he's only been a star cop for like three weeks. You know, <laughs> like and there's no reason why he tried to blow him up, even yeah. though they were like, "We're hiring you because you're a really good thief, crime yeah. man." No, there's definitely no reason for him to be all "I am the law" at this point. So it's interesting to yeah. sort of keep his like, you know, outlaw nature there. Man, I really love this stainless steel rat stuff it goes so fast in just comparison to everything else we read even for stuff that's like you know we're going to tell a story in two weeks or something like that the speed at which everything happens in this comic is amazing well we're talking about like five pages that feels a lot more like invasion than anything else we've seen for a long time it's definitely just like we got to get going all right you know there's a there's a big action scene every comic 
Um, and it's just sort of moving from one plot point to the next. It's a it goes at a breakneck pace, and I think it's really fun for doing that. You know, well, I definitely think so. I mean, at least it's funny. It has like a yeah. lot of good humor, but that humor lasts for about I don't know two to three slides worth of a half panel before yeah. there's actual shit going on, and then suddenly he's in space judo chopping a motherfucker in order to catch a weird woman it's definitely an awesome yeah it's definitely a great mix of that humor and that action for sure hey speaking of speaking of less great mixes of humor and action (laughs) non-thrills covers nerve center pinups and captain clip yeah so let's start with uh prog 141 the cover of this prog is a stainless steel rad cover by carlos escara with slippery jim looking so damn smooth Dude, he's got his six-shooter. He's ready to go. Mm-hmm. In the Nerve Center, Tharg teases a feature next um, prog by TV personality Patrick Moore. And we have an a-, a new alien battler of the month, a pretty cool dude with a... Uh, with a ball and chain and stuff. Sorry, so I get... Sorry, not, not next prog. This prog, uh, Patrick Moore shows up. He has a full-page article about how actual time travel like Tharg and Doctor Who is impossible, but we're all kind of time-traveling when we look up in the night sky and see stuff there because of how light years work and, you know, you're seeing the sun eight minutes after it actually happened on the sun and stuff. Whoa! I mean, that's just a Hume trying to tell Tharg that he can't just be amazing. It's true. So just so you know, Fox, uh, Patrick Moore is kind of an interesting dude. He hosted this TV show, The Sky at Night, for 50 years, which makes him the uh, longest constant host of a TV show in history. Really? Yeah. He was this amateur astronomer guy who just had a TV show on the BBC, and it ran for like a thousand years and stuff. (laughs) A thousand years? Well, okay, 50 years, which is a lot for TV. That's like... That's like a thousand regular years. Yeah, fifty TV years. It kind of is. I don't know. I agree. But hundred um, percent. I yeah. had no idea. What the hell? But there the seems hell to be. You gotta talk about after fifty years. I mean, you know, there's the infinite space out there, dude. Fair enough. Yeah, you gotta think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so last time, uh, Captain Klepp was arrested for stealing the the crown jewels. This week, they try to execute him, but his superpowers. Uh, prevent it um, as such a suspiciously regal shadowy figure uh, sentences Captain Klepp to the worst place on earth the House of Lords welcome Lord Klepp um, we also um, we're starting this week with um, or, or no I, I guess we started last uh, last week we started with uh, the uh, Star Lord Guide to Aliens, which has ratings for different aliens based on on a skull rating of of, of one to five. Uh, there's oh, some more. Yeah, yeah. There's more this week. There's uh, the uh, Schlupin, which gets one skull. There's a Proto Geek with four skulls. A Toad Man of Lustria with one and a half skulls, and the Mekon with five skulls. I don't agree with the scale of Mekon's got five It's because he's so devious. Prog he's, one f- <laughs> he's like a two-skull fucking villain. In Prog 142, Blackhawk faces down a pretty awesome dragon monster by Bellardinelli on the cover. It's the Great Beast. It's going to be cool. Um, there's a super fast nerve center this week. Um, and it's mostly just... Um, 
like letters one person calls out dreads fake cursing like saying like grud or my drock or something like that and while i i find most a, a lot of fake swearing to be kind of tedious i do like dreads a uh, uh, dreads a lot just because it's kind of, sort of they're consistent with it and it's fun i was about to say consistency is the important part of fake swearing right yeah. like like especially yeah very consistent with he's like god ah, Drock it, like, let's do this. Yeah, especially later when there's, like, a holy church of grud and other things like that in, like, Dredge Dread. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, uh, Rojas has a film report about the movie Black Hole, and I really appreciate Rojas, like, going out of his way to focus on the robot actors in the movie because he's super biased. <laughs> so, I actually read all of this because... Uh, all right, so this is going to sound weird. I like Black Hole, but I definitely don't like Black Hole. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this movie. The music for this film is like one continuous droning on every time <laughs> it decides to have some music. Uh-huh. And it, it feels like there were two parts to the movie where it was just, here are these regular actors trying to do this film, and then Disney comes in with a weird robot, <laughs> and I'm very pro-weird robot and their weird robot shenanigans. Absolutely. If you have never seen this movie, go out and watch it, try to stomach through it. It is a very weird film. <laughs> awesome. Um, there's more aliens at the end of this prog. There's uh, the Enela, uh, a, uh, a uh, microscopic war fleet, which gets five skulls, though I think the picture might be incorrect for it. There's the Biogs, our buddies from Launch Dandare, which get four stars. Yeah. There's Gronk. Yeah. There's Gronks from Strontium Dogs, who get a smiley face. And then there's Billy Aww. Joe, a two headed laser whip dude that gets four stars or four, four hey. skulls. He's pretty creeps. Yeah. In 143, there's another sweet stainless steel rat cover with uh, Jim punching a dude in the face for fun and profit. Uh, um, basically, any time there's a Carlos Escara drawing, it should be on the front page. He's good, man. Uh, Tharg is stoked about people sending in alien designs, and there's an <laughs> awesome picture of a cosmic samurai done by Craig Davison of Chapeltown, who I believe will grow up to do these awesome kind of watercolor pictures of like kids pretending to be Star Wars characters and stuff that when you see them, uh, it might what? get a little dusty because you get sentimental. What? I mean, I don't know. There's a cool internet artist whose name is Craig Davison, and it's spelled exactly the same way. And from pictures, he looks like it's the right age. So, you know, I don't know. I kind of thought oh, about awesome. talking to him on tw- on Twitter and saying, like, did you send this picture into 2000 AD? But I, I, I chickened out. <laughs> that would be awesome. No, okay. chicken. Okay, I might do that um, after this episode. But do so. It. Um, Captain Klepp is now a lord, and it's time to go to lord school, which, um... <laughs> All right, this Captain Klepp I, I was kind of into. Yeah, it basically means teaching Klepp and the rest of the new lords. There's, like, a gator and a Frankenstein and a bandito and a vulture and a plank with a tie. And they're all it's, pretty much just taught to let the lower classes die, if not actively kill them themselves. It's a bit on the nose, but I appreciate it, I guess. It but is, it is the nose, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Cle- uh, Clep is having trouble learning this in-depth social commentary and <laughs> is brought to yeah. the home of one of the most successful new lords, a literal monkey in a tuxedo. 
Uh, Rojaws has a review of the new Star Trek movie, which is cool. Get hype for V'ger, is what I say. Then, Listen, the motion picture was one of the best like Star Trek films ever made, so if you haven't seen it, you should. Yeah, and it's easy to forget that the theme song to Star Trek The Next Generation was actually the theme for the first Star Trek movie. Um, Boom! Oh, shit, Conrad! I mean, I'm just saying. Um... <laughs> so there, um, at the end of the Prague, there's some more reader alien pictures, several of which are clearly heavily influenced by the xenomorph from the first Alien movie. Um, oh God! And then these are for the alien design contest we heard about a couple weeks ago, which means that they get five pounds each. Oh, geez! Some kids got paid out. Mm-hmm. It's the f- then it's the final page of Star Lord's Alien Guide. There's an entry on a uh, on a Baskiri, which is Batax people from Blackhawk. They get a three point five. A smiling Chuckwalla that gets three. The Woolrogs from Strontium Dog get four. The Tweaks, like you know the the like Tweak that joined Judge Dredd on the Cursed Earth, get three. And then there's a I full- heavily. Oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead. No, please. I heavily disagree with Tweak getting three. Like Tweak's race is at least a four. They can okay. crush heads. That's fair. I was I was about to argue you if you were going to go lower, but higher. I'll, I'll go with you all day. <clears throat> then there's a full color lineup of different alien crooks. There's a Droon, which is a generic big green bruiser alien that gets a four. There's a Seg, which is a one-eyed worm guy that gets a two. A BGU tribesman, which are those dog people like Rock from Dan Dare that get three. And a Sneakle, which is a three-armed, three-legged, tripod alien guy that gets a one. So he's kind of the, I don't know, halfling? He's got too, yeah, he's got too many legs, and that tripod is just not, uh, not good offensively. <laughs> <laughs> so, Prog 144, super cover poster, it's not a drill! Uh, oh, snap! Yeah, uh, Brian Bolland and John Burns rip off the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like, with an apology <laughs> on the bottom of the page. Showing with a crowd of people walking towards a glowing Tharg face surrounded by all the current big stars of 2000 AD. ABC Warriors, Rojas, Dread, The Gronk, Jim DeGriz, Blackhawk, and yes, Walter. It's it's really, really neat cover. It's a really neat cover. Except for the Walter part. Nah, yeah, you know. yeah, it's yeah. a great cover. But we'll have these poster covers every now and then going forward. Keep an eye out. There's letters. There are mostly a lot of housekeeping. There's requests for good guys characters. Uh, reminders to only send black pictures in black and white ink. Complaints about the difficulty in getting the progs to Canada. And uh, reminders to put in a request for 2008 at your local news agent. Also, donate your, your back progs to hospitals to share their amazing thrill healing powers. Aww. That's the, adorable. Yeah, it's cool. In the page of this one, there are some um, pretty sweet alien pictures, often with descriptions of what makes the aliens so cool or dangerous. The best one for sure is the A Cruiser by Michael Traylor, um, which is a crazy, uh, really super drawn uh, alien monster. Um, though I strongly ap- agree. Though I appreciate the picture of a wee beastie by Graham Pow, just for the audacity of sending this like circle with some legs coming off of it in for, <laughs> to win prizes, basically. Why so, not? I guess. Yeah. So Clep visits the home of Lord Greystoke, a literal monkey in a suit. Greystoke <sighs> gives Clep the tour as they trip over various 
uh, dead bodies scattered around the manor. Eventually, Klepp puts it together because he remembers that there's always one answer for any English crime, which is that the butler did it. Klepp arrests the butler, but Greystoke lets him go, because do you know how hard it is to find a good butler these days? Murder isn't a sacking offense among the nobility. And Klepp is ceremoniously kicked out. I'll be honest, not having my own butler, it must be pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. The issue ends with the usual sort of teaser page for next ep- for next prog. Though this one admits that they might not actually have an extra st- um, a st- uh, an extra story for that prog. So there might just be three pages of empty space. <laughs> the next uh, in <laughs> prog one forty five. Uh, no worries though. Instead, Thug beats up Alien Santa, which is what we get on the cover with Carlos Escara with Thug being menaced by the said evil Alien Santa. He looks pretty evil. Mm-hmm. Lots of teeth. In the uh, nerve center, Tharg says he's headed out to the planet of Biol for holiday. Rock on Tommy, as they say there. Most of the nerve center is a big old quiz, like word puzzle kind of thing. In the in in, in the copy uh, Fox and I have, it's been completed, which I think is pretty fun. <laughs> and um, the int. Wow. Inside the comic, there's a drawing of Dread and then Tharg and the rest of the gang and stuff. And these ones are, if not traced, at least heavily copied from images in the progs. Big time. Yeah. Although, shout out to uh, to Line 10 for its Satanist call out. Oh, this is in the uh, word search. Absolutely. <laughs> mm. So feeling down, Klepp hires a PR firm to make him look good. They'll rob a bank and Klepp will stop and Klepp will stop him, but instead they actually just rob the bank and Klepp bungles it. <laughs> um whatever. So stop the comic, he wants to get off. Strong agree. The prog ends. Yes. The prog ends with a first in a series of technical drawings about the VCs, starting with those Starship troopers themselves. I think it's always fun to see all the gear and stuff that these guys have enumerated. Probably the biggest revelation is that the VCs have shed their standard issue green honeycomb plastine leg shielding (laughs) because it's very uncomfortable. Of course. I mean, look at it. That would just chafe my thighs. It's true. All right. Hey, Fox. Speaking, What's going on, Conrad? Speaking of chafing against the bounds of your prison made by druids in the back in the Bronze Age, that is... Oh. Ah, let's go to Thrill 4, The Mind of Wolfie Smith. And a uh, much older man just blasting sludge all over your hot body. It's true. Yeah, so script robots Tom Tully, art robots are Vanyo and Mike White. The lettering robot is the Aldrich Mark II. So yeah, so we're, we're where we left off with Wolfie being drowned by artificial mud in an old well at an ancient druid site by the director Julian Rouse of this movie, um, who leaves him to die. I don't know what the difference between artificial mud is and real mud. It seems like artificial mud would become real mud very quickly. Anyway. Uh, um, so how do you get out of that, Conrad, if you can't just climb up the walls of a fake you, well? You, you use your psychic powers to levitate you out, duh. Meanwhile, the Rouse has grabbed a prop shotgun and is using it to force a set worker to knock over the standing stones at the film site. Um, as because, he does, quote like using it at point blank range would be kind of shitty. I mean, it, it is, dude. Like, I, don't... I imagine so, but that's not very threatening, man. Dude, ask Brandon Lee how threatening it is. I 
That's I right. Understand. Bran- the guy in the crow that was Bruce Lee's son that was killed by a prop gun firing a blank. Are you serious? Yeah, dude, yes. That's horrible. I know, and that's why you don't mess around with guns with blanks in them, dude. Oh my god. Jesus. Like, I thought this was a credible threat, honestly. Like, stuff still comes out of that gun at gun speeds, even if it's just, like, wadding and stuff. Like, I wouldn't... You couldn't shoot me at point-blank range with a prop... With a, with a, bl- a shotgun blank for, like, a hundred bucks. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't want to get paid to do that. Anyhow, like... But a- a- anyway... <laughs> Um, a lar- as Rouse drives to knock down the stones, a large group of protesters suddenly show up with signs and stuff to tell him also to stop to stop knocking over the stones. But it's Correct no good. Yeah, it's no good that one of the stones is about to go over, and the Wendigore will return. Also, he just drives over a dude. Mm-hmm. So Rouse nears the standing stone with the bulldozer as both human and supernatural forces tell him to stop, but it's no use. Even as Wolfie tries to ESP him to stop, one of the megaliths is toppled. A massive rumble goes through the earth. A huge clawed hand comes forth, grabbing Rouse. The oh, Wendigore has returned. Demon time. Yeah, it's the Wendigore. It's got giant claws and teeth, and it exudes an energy cloud that will drain the life out of you, making you a skeleton. Sounds kind of shitty. Yeah. Tara, Tara, the uh, cute chick, drives up and offers Wolfie a chance to escape, but he says no dice. He's the only one that can stop the beast. He fall- I guess. Yeah. Well, someone's got to. He follows its trail of destruction and starts throwing gravestones at it to get its attention. When he gets his attention, though, it's time to run. Aw, oh, jeez, what's the next part of this plan? I guess run into a cave. Oh, shit, it's a dead end. Yeah, Wolfie runs from the Wendigore as the few survivors from the film crew try to, like, shoot the chase, uh, trying to finish up the movie. Wolfie manages to block the Wendigo's powers with his psychic sh- uh, shield, but the camera crew isn't so lucky. As they die, Wolfie is contacted by the druids, and he must lead the Wendigo Wendigore into the underground complex of the Standing Stones, and then, then uses power to reseal the beast. Wolfie is skeptical, but the monster has found him again, and he doesn't have much of a choice. He runs downstairs and prepared to make his final stand. I... Guess this is where it'll happen. Yeah, buddy. Deep under the standing stones, Wolfie leads the Wendigore to a mystic triangle of stones, where he uses his powers to draw the Wendigore in and then seal him inside the mystic trap. The Wendigore is uh, locked again once more. Wolfie escapes the underground complex as it collapses around him. The The monster is beaten. And he meets Hot Chick outside and then is like, all right, I guess peace out. And she's yeah. like, oh, all right. Wolfie expl- exchanges some pleasantries with Tar and then walks off Incredible Hulk style. But Wolf- like a lot less awesome. I, I mean, guess. you know, yeah. Wolfie Smith will return in 1980. Really? Yep. Well, at least they didn't give up on him. It's true. <laughs> and speaking of not getting up, of not giving up, even if your soul has been taken and your buddy Zog has been murdered. Oh. Thrill 5, Blackhawk. So, in this episode, we watch Blackhawk strangle a gargoyle. <laughs> Blackhawk, script robots Alan Grant, writing as Alvin Gaunt, art robots Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robots Peter Knight. Yeah, so, 
We're all being attacked by evil club demons. Let's fight. It's pretty cool. Yeah, but Tech mercilessly takes to the sky and takes one dude out, but then stops fighting just to eat the body alive, while the rest of the team have to fight on their own. (laughs) They're able to take the the, the, the flying guys out pretty effectively, though, so let's just celebrate and drink some Mac Mac. But as they do... Mac's involved, I'm down. Always. But as they do, Zog gets taken by the scavengers. Ursa, Ursa wants to go with him, but Patak disagrees, wanting to start the million, mi- the billion mile journey to the Great Beast. Uh, Blackhawk goes with Ursa, and eventually they all three of them decide to go and find the dwarf. They eventually find Zog inside a cave. Ursa goes to grab Zog while Blackhawk and Patak wait outside. But while Ursa is spanking Zog for hitting him with his club... <laughs> <laughs> Blackhawk falls off the side of the cliff they're on and uh, only manages to avoid falling to his death by grabbing Batak's feet and the two of them start slowly falling down the cliff both te- the two teams are now separated so Batak tries to like shove him up because he's like ah what's this whole deal with not having a soul he's like oh it sucks because I'll go to hell and he's like ah well you go to hell now and he's like oh I grabbed your foot and yep. Patek's like, ah, shit, I can't hold you up. And then yeah, they just fall through a black hole anyway. Who cares? No alliance has been more uneasy than Blackhawk and Patek. <laughs> Which, so. I mean, no true statement has there ever been than humans hate bugs. And bugs probably hate humans. I mean, if they're big enough, yeah. Especially if one of the if one of the humans cut their wings off with his shield and stuff. But so... <laughs> Patak and Blackhawk fall to their deaths, or they would until a giant hand appears, grabs them, and teleports them to the lair of the Great Beast! He's hey, a- Conrad. Yeah. Remember when they were like, you have to walk a billion miles, mm-hmm. and then partway through the comic, they were like, uh, I don't know if we have enough content for a billion miles. Let's just have them transport to the palace. Exactly. You know, sometimes you... You can see the wires, it's true. So, the beast is a crazy dragon monster. He's got a cool monster court. After some threats, we hear the same offer that the djinn offered last episode. Soul's deepest wishes if these guys do what the beast wants. Blackhawk and Batak are basically down for it, but what about Ursa and Zog? They're still lost in Silver Sun. They're going down some crazy caves. What could go wrong? So, I guess the thing is, is that he wants to hunt them, question mark? Well, that's not, we haven't quite gotten there yet, because now we're following Ursa and Zog. They're wandering the land, looking for Blackhawk, getting drunk on Mac Mac, with Zog totally (laughs) hogging the bottle, which is uncool. Ursa sings a song about it. My friend, he take my good Mac Mac. I ask, but he not give it back. Luckily, he had one hidden in his fur, because mm-hmm. a drunk always keeps an extra bottle on himself. Suddenly, a bunch of caveman ogres show up. The ogres, oh, God. they grab Zog and they start tossing him around. Oh, jeez, they just peg him at the earth. Ursa goes to check on him, but he's not moving. Is Zog okay? Don't die, Zog! No, you're maybe my favorite character? Zog is dead! Ursa sings a funeral song. His club it crunch with mighty Zog, but now him dead as any log. Uh, <laughs> Ursa is taken captive by the ogres who prepare to eat him and Zog. Uh, Ursa offers to light a campfire to cook 
him and his buddy, but uh, plays a trick on the ogres. He lights the fire with his mac-mac bottle hidden inside of it. The ogres fight amongst themselves, and the bottle explodes, which Ursa uses as a distraction to grab his axe. We can go out fighting. And he throws his axe into one of their heads, and it pierces through it. Can't stress enough that Ursa's an awesome fighter. As they fight, Zog wakes up, and the two of them beats him over, but... They yep, finally, it's pretty cool. They finally get down to just one ogre who they interrogate. He explains that the, um, the best way to find the great beast is to find a hole in space that'll take you right to him. Ursa and Zog are questionable about the existence of holes in space until they fall right into one. Mind you, they did knock the shit out of that guy because they're like, ah, we don't really trust him anyway, so I guess yep. just beat the shit out of him. Absolutely. These are not trustworthy gladiators stuck on a planet inside of a black hole. Oh. Then we get a three-panel mini-story about the Great Beast. Yeah, he's the evil beast. He's the Great Beast, the evil god-king of the world of Silver Sun. He wants to hunt our guys for sport. They're taken away by an evil Igor-type guy who Blackhawk quickly beats up and interrogates. They learn about a mystic sword called the Blood Blade that might have the power to defeat the beast. They kill the Igor guy and escape. Except it turns out this is exactly the plan, and Igor isn't actually dead. He's sort of like, ah, it's all going as the master planned. Womp womp. Yeah. Blackhawk and Batak call a truce while this hunt business is going on. And they head out. Soon they come to a bridge on the other side. Hey, it's uh, Ursa and Zog. We're, we're reunited, all right. But uh-oh. It seems like they've been corrupted by the beast and are about to attack. Don't kill Ursa and Zog. Next no. time, next time, Ursa and Zog versus Blackhawk and Batak. I hope not. Yeah, man. Like, I don't want... If I had a choice of who would win and continue this comic, I'll take Ursa and Zog over Blackhawk and Batak any day of the week. <laughs> Dude, internet high five right now. Great job, because they are the coolest characters. Also spankings. It's true. Yeah, no, they got their kinky side. You know, it's a whole thing. If you if you actually look at the closing shot of Ursa and Zog coming across the bridge, mm-hmm. there is actually like enough setup in the background behind them to look like um, the evil dragon dude. Totally, yeah. No, all about Bellinelli's art is really like he's so good at drawing just crazy stuff and like weird. Um, like surreal landscapes and monsters and stuff that he's just really good at just getting all this stuff out basically yeah no he he did some super suggestive shit which i madly respect this is a willy really willy god damn it really well drawn comic (laughs) absolutely and hey uh, you know speaking of uh best friends forever like ursa and zog fox Oh no. Thrill Six Rojaws the Inside Story. This was adorable. Yeah, just a little one off story. Uh Pat Mills is a script robot, art robot Kev O'Neill, lettering robot the Aldrich March uh Mark Two. So yeah. Um it's hard to tell if this takes place before or after the events of Robusters, but anyhow, um Rojaws has a tummy ache. And oh. Hammerstein reaches into Rojaws's maw to try to pull out whatever's in there, but his hand's too big, so it's time to go to the Robo Garage. It's a job for the Thunderbots, which is oh snap! 
yeah, it's a pretty fun Thunderbirds reference with like teeny tiny robots uh, exploring the inside of Rojas's stomach and stuff like that to find the blockage. The whole thing's pretty funny and funly drawn. They find the answer, and it turns out to be a couple of Hammerstein's war medals. Cause Roja Which he just spits back up in his face. Yeah, because Rojas is tired about hearing ABC Warriors war stories. So, oh, now he's in the garbage can. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm not, but I do love Rojas, so endearing it's true yeah no rojas always always nice to see rojas and hammerstein just sort of be friends you know roboing out basically robroing out <laughs> um, wow and hey speaking of one-off stories fox uh thrill seven tharg's christmas tale so this happened yeah, no listed script robot for this one, so I, we, we just have to assume it's Tharg himself. Uh, Carlos Escara is the art robot, lettering robot's Pete Knight. So this is just a quick story about a tooth-filled monster from Cygnus B pretending to be Santa and trying to kidnap and eat a kid, but the kid wakes up and, and psychically contacts Tharg, who teleports over, saves the kid, and teleports the alien to the prison planet. Squawkstick um, Thargo saves the day again. Yeah, friends of Tharg's. That's you and me, buddy. Um, yep. So, while the kid was kidnapped, he was visited by Santa, and he's gotten all the gifts that he wanted, including his number one gift, Fox. Which What's is that? To meet Tharg in person. Aww. Aww. <laughs> A true Christmas miracle. Yeah, man. And that... Also, oh. 2080 copies. Oh yeah, well, I'll, I'll, you know, this guy's got 2008 stuff all over, including like the art on his walls and stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good time, and uh, that's it for thrills. We'll see the thrills next year in January 1980, buddy. But so, good that... lord, Merry Christmas, readers slash listeners. Yeah, and that means that it's time for the eternal question: What was your, in, in your opinion, what was the most and least thrilling? Uh, thrill of this month, December 1979. If we're talking most thrilling, and yes. I mean really most thrilling, I am going to give it 110% to the stainless steel rat. And uh, from front to back, it like where we were cliffhangered last time and where it went this time, like, so it was, it, I don't know, he, he was a fugitive quickly mm -hmm. became not a fugitive and in that same span of time quickly became maybe a fugitive again yeah he and somehow that, managed to go all the way back to where basically where he started as sort of a a, a, a criminal on the run with all this exactly. stuff happening <laughs> and but everything that happened in between was substance yeah and it wasn't done with like oh here's like 10 pages of substance building no it was just beat for beat interesting stuff you wanted to read you wanted to understand what was going on everything led into each other very 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 well and more than anything i mean my god i can look at anything that carlos escara draws during this time period i again having only seen this stuff from the 70s <laughs> this this is legitimately beautiful it's striking especially when it's in color it's really well done. I just stainless steel rat above and beyond the Call of Duty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I love stainless steel rat. And yeah, just like yeah, the just 
James Coburn in space sort of con manning his way around is really yeah. awesome. So, um, so, so what, yeah. what story had the least thrill power for you this month, Fox? So it's kind of a toss-up. I, I do like Blackhawk, but again, it's right now it's got the same problem I feel like Wolfie Smith does. Wolfie Smith is, is indeed the least thrilling thing. Blackhawk, I, I wish that there was more out of that. 10 billion mile march or, or 1 billion mile march that he had to do right mm-hmm. like when we were looking at um strontium dog like they had to go across hell right and going across hell was this experience it was this time that you got to see some really crazy stuff there was a plot built out in this it was like oh we've we've got to walk a long time and then it's like oh no we don't yeah that's a good point comparing those two stories they actually yeah they do have some interesting similarities and differences that's actually really um i like that comparison now that i'm thinking about it yeah so i don't know if this was shortened because maybe potentially they're trying to plan black hawk ending at at a certain time so they can bring in something new but it really would have been nice to see what that was what they had because inside of a black hole you could just make whatever the fuck you wanted to have happen <laughs> and then they just didn't and it's this weird dragon-headed guy yeah which i would have loved to see at the end but instead two progs in oh it's a dragon man okay yeah i, I hear you yeah for, ab- absolutely so so there's my disappointment with that it's not the worst wolfie smith has always had this problem i i feel like he'll always have this problem because someone, or or maybe it's just hard to write ESP problems, mm-hmm. uh, because you can just mock one your way out of a situation <laughs> with them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the biggest problem it has, is that instead of just saying, here are his limited power sets at the beginning, and he's just got to figure his way out, and not putting him in situations where he couldn't, or in situations that he couldn't, using you know these people that he knew... Uh, he just mock ones. Right. It's boring. Just, We've been there. We've done yeah. that. I'm done. So with that, Conrad, <laughs> top thrilling shit, least thrilling, Prog. Oh, geez. I guess. Oh, so I love Stainless Steel Rat, too, but I think I'm actually going to give my top thrill to uh, the VCs this month. Ooh. Like that. Ooh. The, they're sort of a dark horse, but I like sort of the building of the characters and stuff. It ends up being very reminiscent of like the ABC Warriors where there's sort of here yeah. this situation. Here are these guys. Let's find, you know, let's sort of spend some progs finding out about each one of them and about this setting and stuff and then kind of go on to sort of awesome war action. You know, I love I love war comics, you know, and like, you know, uh, I've said before, but I really like Gary Finley Day as an author and stuff um, for these comics. And the sort of Mike McMahon art and stuff is very fun just for sort of spaceships and these kind of complicated technical spacesuits going out around stuff. So I'll definitely say, so I'll say the VCs this month, yeah, just to be different from Stainless Steel Rat and to nah, my own I mean, thing too. I, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like the Loon comic itself was so standout from the entirety of it, right? So there's this buildup of a particular yeah. character, Smith, and then suddenly it changes and you get a very real glimpse of the crazy people that you're on this spaceship with, you yeah. know? 
Totally. I also want to give out a shout to uh, to Judge Dredd this month. Um, maybe yeah. not the top thing, but like the 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 Black Plague Apocalypse was really cool. And um, then the two standalones were very sort of melancholy and like yeah. interesting, like both sort of Barney giving people what they desire and that not actually being good. And then like the the exile of um, Uncle Umpty into space and stuff. Like it's an interesting sort of like how the judge, you know, how the judges have to maintain the city and sort of like what the people of Mega City want and stuff of Mega City One want and stuff like that. So I think that Even was interesting though- stories, too. Yeah, even though clearly Umpty loves the city and loves what he does. Yeah. And then for for my bottom thrill, um, I'd say, yeah, Wolfie Smith is kind of my my, my bottom. I'm going to echo what you uh, I'll just ditto what you said. But also just kind of like, man, like even with a giant monster rampaging through like the English countryside and stuff, so much of the of Wolfie Smith's like stakes and what's going on with it really pale in comparison to what's going on in the rest of the prog, you know? Yeah. Like at the same time that there's a spider apocalypse in Judge Dredd or a warship blowing up like massive, <laughs> you know, vaporizing planets in stainless steel rat or something like that. Like mm-hmm. just sort of a monster that skeletonizes one or two people just sort of isn't as it feels like less, I guess. Um well, but you would be getting more out of it if they built up something yeah. for that no like, yeah i definitely that agree ship is doing shit it yeah. doesn't really matter what it's doing but there's build-up and in and in wolfie smith you're right like who gives a shit <laughs> yeah no i definitely i definitely agree and same with blackhawk i feel like they've decided that they're done with you know they decided they were done with the gladiator thing it feels like they're still sort of searching around to figure out what the new status quo is for blackhawk and sort of what this comic is going to be about almost like like you said like it seemed like they were going to make it the journey now it looks like they're going to make it this hunt you know we'll see some kind of how it develops but this a lot of the stuff in this prog felt like they were sort of trying to figure out how to get things to a situation that would be like all right this is this is what we're doing you know sort of a lot of like getting balls in the air so that then we can sort of start our juggling routine basically with this with with the story yeah i feel like when when you're talking about the vcs when you're talking about stainless steel rep when you're talking about judge dread like you these people are coming in with a longer term story in mind Mm-hmm. And they're just executing against that. Whereas Blackhawk, it felt like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had a gladiator in space? Yeah. But no one thought past that. Totally. Well, then then what? Oh, well, what if pirates and then he loses his soul? All right, then what? Yeah, totally. Well, then Absolutely. he gets sucked into a black hole. And it, it like that and Wolfie Smith really feel like that. And... I like their premises a lot more than older comics. I just wish they had thought about it more. Or maybe they did and it just didn't pan out the way they wanted to. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye out for as we sort of get further and further and sort of, you know, people have more time to think about comics. Like, I want to also say that, man... Both Blackhawk and Wolfie Smith are essentially good comics in comparison yeah. to the bad stuff we've seen on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> like, I don't want to. One hundred and ten percent agree. Like, Wolfie's been at the bottom for pretty much since it's been on here, but I want to say that it's way better than Colony Earth or um, yeah. or Death Planet or any of those other oh. like stinkers that yeah. we've been through. Planet. 
You know, it's no Rick Random. That's what I want to say. Oh, uh, Rick Random. <laughs> Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, our podcast site at Cradoline.com, or pretty much any, like, podcast app. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, just look up spacespinner2000 and we should be there. Come back next time as Fox and I once again put on our fancy ball gowns for the 1979 <laughs> Spinnies. Oh my god, it will be gold lace with gold sequins. Oh yes, it's our award show slash year in review show as we close out the 1970s for 2000 AD. We'll talk about our favorite progs, stories, and art and give out awards to our favorite. Will your favorite thrill take home the golden frisbee? Tune in and find out. (laughs) (laughs) And hey, you know what? If you're a creator of one of these fine progs, you may in fact ask us for a golden frisbee and we will send it to you i'll Just try to us. yeah i'll definitely try to add um winners when they have relevant social media accounts um <laughs> and and by the way if you know massimo bellardinelli or his estate my god please get me in touch with them <laughs> absolutely yeah totally until next time i'm conrad he's fox and we are space spinner 2000 splendid rig <laughs>